But here we go. Yeah, definitely. There we go. Well, yeah, the sharing thing we'll have to we'll have to cross that bridge later. But yeah, recording is good. That's fine. That's fine. Well, you you're you look like you're in a truck or or at work or something. So, but that's fairly, right. I'm in a work truck. My content lends itself to uh, listening while driving. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm not driving. I'm not driving. I'm just sitting here. Well, that's good. Um, well, tell me a little bit about yeah. Yourself. So, okay. Where would you, I kind of thought about this. Once I pressed, you know, start the meeting, I thought, I don't really have anything to say. So Paul's going to have to guide me on this. Well, tell me about the home you grew up in. Okay. So I'm from Kentucky. Um, I guess to describe the home, I'd have to describe my parents and their background. So they met in college. My dad is from a nominally Catholic background, but nominal at best. Um, pretty rough family, actually. A lot of um, premature dying on that side, with drug overdoses, etc. cetera. Uh, my mom is from a much more conservative um, background. I think in college, I believe, is when she sort of went from a nominal faith, Protestant faith, to being really all in on it. Uh, probably by the influence of her older sister. My mom is the second of six girls. And she sort of converted my dad, I guess, as a precondition to their marriage. Um, so I am the youngest of four. And, and my dad probably had a factory job for most of our upbringing. Um, he wasn't very present, and that might be an understatement. Um, he, I found out later, whenever he left, eventually he left, um, I think he kind of had some affairs in the background, which he had been repentant of, um, and then eventually he wasn't repentant and it just took off. So I was probably in eighth grade at that time. Um, wow. Yeah, that was a big hit. I mean, if, if all of that didn't play out the way it had, I wouldn't have come across Peterson and I wouldn't be talking to you right now. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. What else do you want to ask about that? <laughs> well, how, how do you think? Um, well, okay. So you go to, you go to high school. Well, did you go to church growing up with your mom? There you go. Yeah. So I went to a denomination you've probably heard of. They're kind of notorious for their, legalism probably the church of christ so okay, yeah. i went you know twice on sunday once on wednesday uh the kind of church where i love the acapella singing but they seem to imply that if you weren't singing acapella you might be bound for hell um <laughs> so that was that was kind of the the nature of that and well needless to say um with that kind of conditioning, we'll call it, I definitely believed that I believed. And I was maybe a little bit of a zealot, but in a way that was more superficial than I understood until around the time the dad left. And then uh, a series of events within the family that were equally traumatic for me at the time. Mm. Sort of, um, it kind of shattered my, it was a really deep trauma for me is what it was. 
Okay. Um, now, part of that trauma externally was that my my personality, I would say, uh, changed a lot at that time. Got a lot uh, darker, maybe. Um, around that age, I began to have some questions about whether life was worth it or not. Let's say, yeah. and that was plainly that was plainly evident to our church of probably eighty-five people. Um, but what happened in my experience was that. From my peers at school to the elders in the church, everyone's disposition toward me um, kind of went a little bit aloof around that time, which you would expect from your middle school peers. Um, I didn't, but you would now in hindsight. But I didn't expect it from the church family. So that was really uh, disillusioning for me. Mm. And... Ultimately, that led to me by the time I was probably 17, I think, is when I got a letter, like an uh, excommunication-style letter from the elders there, uh, which amounted to not much more than I had kind of been skipping out on church service too frequently. Um, So I basically got written off by them at the time, which, of course, was probably the opposite of what I needed. So I know they have a time limit here, so... To sort of fast forward past all that and go back to that part of my life if you want, but um, you know, I had developed uh, an interest in songwriting, playing music, playing guitar, singing, and of course, other interests that would come with teenage rebellion. So, a lot of pot in a lot of those circles, and um, I wound up moving to Nashville at a young age, and I went really deeply into. Um, the spiritual but not religious uh, kind of perspective, really deep, Um, which happened actually with some sort of bizarre mystical experiences that occurred around the time of my family life first falling apart. And then that led into a really deep and earnest interest in Taoism, and then I would get into aspects of Hinduism and a lot of meditative stuff, which of course entailed some profound uh, spiritual experiences in that state. Um, so that was my twenties. Basically, uh, I got married in my twenties. Wow. Um, I would call that a, a nominal marriage. Uh, my my sense of marriage just now is, is much different than it was at the time. At the time, it was just kind of a default uh, into what she said she wanted, so it happened. <laughs> and, um. A few years ago, I moved around a lot. I lived in Maine, or not Maine, sorry. I lived in Rhode Island, Ohio, Tennessee, Florida, etc. And it's kind of my wandering. And um, I was in Florida a few years ago, right before COVID hit. And for reasons unbeknownst to me, um, I prayed a, a more of a Christian-style prayer than I would have before that. I specifically became really fixated on revisiting the idea of Jesus as a a literal um, truth. And I prayed specifically about Jesus, kind of as if to say, you know, if you'll show me that this is true, then I'll follow you, basically. Uh, And then that prayer was answered, and things have not been the same since. 
So all, all of that, uh, all of that seeking and all of that prayer, all that spiritualism that I was involved in, all the existential intensity that I had, um, it all got channeled directly into, you know, a very flawed but uh, earnest discipleship that I'm still on. Wow. That's a, that's a story. Yeah, and I well, left out most of the details. Well, I, this years, years compacted into a story. That's why stories are compression engines. What, what, what else about your life changed when after you prayed that prayer? Everything. Uh, I mean, I guess I've got to talk the particulars. So, in terms of, you know, of course, as you know, most of it is. Uh, well, I should say most of it is, but it comes from a, an internal place. It's hard to articulate for anyone, but uh, externally, I, I was probably three and a half years or so into the most stable relationship, uh, intimate relationship of my life at that time. Um, we had an apartment in Florida together. And, you know, I guess the long and short of it is as I was wrestling spiritually and I began for the first time ever, really. Uh, to actually care about a sense of right and wrong um, instead of just my own comfort. Um, you know, I tried to have conversation with the with the gal that I was with, and we had had talks about getting married around that time. And I started to realize that we had no direction. We had no objective moral values or sense of why we would even get married other than it was a pretty smooth, easygoing relationship. And I, this, I don't even know how this sounds, but I began to, to my surprise, feel really convicted about how wrong it was for us to be uh, living together out of wedlock. And, you know, that's not really as legalistic or purpose level as it sounds. It was just kind of a deeper conviction that what we were doing wasn't true, if I can say that. It wasn't yeah. intentional. It wasn't, uh, we, we didn't answer to anything higher. It was just, we were just appeasing ourselves. And that simultaneous with my conversion experience, my relationship with God was sort of convicting me that uh, it had to go. So how did she respond to, to that? Not well. So I said, I, I mentioned that the relationship was really easygoing. And yeah. a lot of that is because of her, her personality. She was very, very passive. Um, you know, was, wasn't much of a communicator, just really laid back. And at that time, I finally found out that that wasn't necessarily only a positive trait. So whenever I tried to open up conversation about this sort of deeper sense of meaning or purpose or direction for what we were doing, um, it just, there was no argumentation. It, it wasn't, it wasn't tense or conflicted. It, there was just nothing there. Um, so I don't know. I felt that I had to leave, which was tough for me because at the time I had nowhere to go. I'd gotten myself into a situation. I essentially followed her, her career to Florida is what I did basically. And, um, I was for the first time kind of waking up out of the stupor I'd been in since I was a teenager. Wow. Um, credit to God for that. Cause I didn't realize I was walking, but I was. And, um, kind of started trying to follow the, the Peterson admonitions to, to kind of get it together. But I was basically flat broke. 
and uh, I had nowhere to go. So I went to Arkansas because that's where my sister is with her family. Um, and that was, you know, humiliating. And I slept in this great bedroom and it was a short term thing. I tried to start a, a, a lawn care company down there. Well, I did actually. Um, we have a great relationship, but at the time, some things came up where it wasn't really going to be a long-term fit for any of us. So then I wind up in Kentucky on a friend's couch. And all of this, you know, mind you, this is me coming into my own as a, as a man in his young, younger 30s. Um, so I really felt like what I was experiencing as the consequence of trying to do the right thing and follow Christ, really, which is where it was coming from. Um, Externally, it felt like I was uh, only being punished for that, basically, because I was—I didn't really have anywhere to belong anymore. Because here, I, here I you do the right thing, and everything gets worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, we we all hear the testimonies where it kind of goes the other way, and people yeah. become wealthier and happy and all that. But yeah, it was it was um it was tough. But of course, I'm still you know living out that story. Uh, things have stabilized, and in some ways, some ways they haven't. But um, you know, as as you understand as a pastor, the the goal has simply been to not compromise on the truth any more than, you know, my fleshly fallen self is probably bound to anyway. Uh but in the in the more fundamental choices in terms of what I do and why and what what informs the nature of the relationships that I'm in, uh, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to follow the Lord basically. Wow, that's a powerful story. What's so yeah. so you're working a job now? Are you in a relationship? Are you alone? Um Yeah, so I'm working a job, which um I was right there on the edge uh of moving to Nashville or staying in Kentucky. And I've been in contact with this Orthodox priest that was like my gateway back into Christianity. Uh Christianity proper as far as the organized religion side of it. And I prayed with him on the phone about kind of that, that fork in the road, what, what should happen. And right when we get off the phone, I got a text message from an old friend I hadn't, hadn't heard from in years. And she was basically offering me this job that I have. So that was a little over three years ago. So I'm here, and um, this is its own saga, but, but I was in a relationship for a solid two and a half years that came about in a way that was uh, very unexpected. I wasn't looking for it per se, but I had been in prayer about something that seemed to uh, very much parallel with this relationship and this girl. Um, she was a little more woke adjacent at the time that I met her. Um, and I felt it, it was weird for me to, to be a Christian. That was all very strange to me still. Um, and it was even weirder for me to enter into a relationship and do my best. Uh, I wasn't perfect, but I did my best to try to lead with the gospel, to try to lead with the truth, and to try to say, look, if, if we're going to do this, you know, I want it to kind of have a telos. I want it to be something pertaining to marriage, and we'll have to learn together kind of what that's all about and, and why we would even be in each other's lives yeah. um, as a r romantic couple. So that was a long saga. Um, with a lot of really, really intense ups and downs. Again, with the, the intensity exacerbated by the fact that I'm feeling this existential pressure because now I'm a man who's woken up and I'm in my late 30s and it's like I've got a lot of catching up to do. Um, so I would like to not just sort of fool around with 
various females in a way that I probably would have in my twenties. Yeah. Um, so if I weren't currently in a bit of a dark chapter in terms of processing some of that fallout, cause it ultimately didn't result in marriage. Um, and in a word that would be because she ultimately wasn't quite ready herself. Now she's 25. Um, and even newer to sort of the attempt at a Christian walk than I am. So it's understandable. And I'm not a man of, as you can probably tell by the work that or the attire, I don't know, but I'm not a man of high status. Um, and you know, it's, it's hard in this world. I think more than ever, probably economically for a lot of us. So yeah, she had her reasons for being a little bit lukewarm, I think, um, which it's a, it's a strange paradox to contend with because you've got the apparent, depth and profundity of your relationship and your history and your chemistry and all this. But then you've got, you know, certain boxes that you kind of want to have checked regardless of all that sentimentality. So, right. There's certain uh, realities that are there for both of you. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so that's currently not a thing. And, um, you know, I tried my best not to make it an idol. Right. But yeah, also, part of my conversion, my post-conversion life has been for the first time ever. Um, I was genuinely interested in marriage. Uh, I genuinely feel cold, for what it's worth, uh, to be a father. And I think, uh, in some sense, and this might be laughed blown away, but in some sense, I think I'm uniquely equipped to be a good father based on I've had 15 years plus to study all the ways not to do it based yeah. on my dad. Yeah. Um, and I just no, don't think there's a more, yeah. I think that's true. The, I mean, in some ways you're looking to redeem the story of your father. You're not looking to redeem your father. You're looking to redeem the story because, yeah. you know, I mean, just even from the, the, the brief version of it that you shared with me, you know, our actions have consequences and his actions had consequences. His actions had consequences for you, for your mother, for your siblings. Um, and those consequences reverberated through your life. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's taken a while to, to sort of, you know, get steady and get in a good place and get your head in the game and figure out. And you've done all that now. So you're ready to sort of say, okay, time to begin, but you're beginning in your late thirties instead of your twenties. And that's harder. Yeah. It's been a lot harder. <laughs> um, but yeah, what can you do? So maybe I thought somewhere on this zoom call you could, I mean, I've been following you for years on and off. Um, and, uh, I know you, you've had conversations like these with a lot of people and seen people in my position and, Hopefully, I can glean some some wisdom, some course correction words from you. On this well, it call. sounds like you've already done a lot of the course correcting. Yeah, well, I'm trying. I'm trying. Um, yeah, you know, I, I bought a house, uh, which was felt like a feat, but it was a it was a I'll spare the details, but it was a calculated risk. It's a, it's not a flattering home to walk into. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's so unflattering. I live in a camper adjacent to the house um, <laughs> while it's basically, yeah. So it's basically, a, it's a work site. It's the second job site that I have every day. 
And uh, of course, as as money allows, I can sort of gradually bring it up to a place where you might call it a home. But the the idea behind that was, you know, the studio apartment in the city wasn't really going to facilitate a family. Uh, I lived with with my cousin for a while to try to save some money and, and prepare myself to be able to get a house. And that wasn't going to be a big, very good place for a family. So I thought if I get a house, I'm doing my due diligence to set the stage for me. And at the time, this girl I was dating, um, to start a family. And of course, now I find myself in, in the dead of winter by myself in a camper. And it kind of feels like the, uh, the, the, the momentum I was trying to build, um, it's a bit of a mockery. It feels now that's a little bit maybe too well with me and subjective, but it, that is uh, something I grapple with actively right now. Um, but you know, I I couldn't even be persisting in it if it weren't for the sort of intervention of God in my life a few years ago. So. Yeah. Now you mentioned an Orthodox priest. Are you going to an Orthodox church, or what's your church life like? Yeah, so I'm pretty sure that probably came from Pajot. Somewhere in the little triangle was like Peterson and Pajot and you, I think, for a while were my main my mainstays. Um, and so through Pajot, I think I was introduced to orthodoxy. Um, started reading some stuff, Palamas and beyond. And it, it really represented something that the kind of church I was in was sorely lacking, which essentially it was a acknowledgement of and an embrace of the mystery and the beauty. Um, and that was important for me. Um, so <laughs> I'm ashamed to admit kind of that. So the Christ came first, uh, my sort of identity as a Christian came with that, but then my relationship to what I guess I can call churchianity, that has been a little more strenuous yeah. and spotty. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've gone to some liturgies. I've gone with my cousin to some Catholic mass. I've gone to a whole different array of uh, Protestant evangelical churches. And I continue to, and I have been, maybe maybe a little bit of a paralysis by analysis, but I've been doing a lot of research. Um, you know, that's what you do. You try to learn all the different nuances that theology and what separates the different denominations so you can try to make a good choice because again the idea would be that i can commit to it it can represent stability in my life and be something that again i'm offering essentially uh, as the head of a home should god ever will that for me i'm offering that to my family so i want to take the choice very seriously about uh you know placing membership in the congregation and so all that to say i don't currently have a congregation um it's still a weekly thing where i'll and I've heard you say it, and I agree with it, uh, at least I think I agree with it. Um, this sort of consumerist approach to which church you join is maybe a little overplayed and not the best path. But I also think it's of consequence. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, I have, I've weeded out the, uh, the Orthodox and the Catholic from my options, regrettably, because, frankly... I just can't, I just cannot profess to believe in the way that they do regarding the Eucharist. Um, and it's really important for me to be authentic and, and really be able to, to believe in what I'm doing, especially in the context of being in a church service. So 
Um, that kind of whittles it down to Protestantism, which doesn't really whittle it down that far. Um, so, well, in Kentucky, there are probably right more choices. Right. That's probably true. Yeah. Um, lately, I've kind of been delving into some of the high church stuff, or I don't know if I'm using that word correctly with regard to Anglicans and Lutherans. Um, you know, trying to find that middle ground where there's still some like liturgical sense of reverence in the building as opposed to just like, you know, pop rock music and, you know, yoga pants or whatever. So I'm trying to, trying to figure that out. Oh, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> I, I totally, no, it's, I totally get it. I totally get it. I totally get it. And yeah, um, it's tough, and, man. But but it's you know, but God's been, I mean, God's been clearly working in your life for sure. And it has been, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe it's, I'm always, if everything just flows too quickly and too smoothly, I'm always a little suspicious because, right, generally speaking, it's not how it goes, you know, there'll be a There'll be a moment where things sort of click and then you get on a right track and then you'll get going. And then just your story with the house is so true where, all right, well, let's get this house. Let's uh, okay. I'll live in the trail and I'll fix up the house and you know, maybe this woman and then, and then, and then, and then you're still, um, and that's to me, that just rings so true of, of life. But I also, I also believe that, that God uses, these strange crooked paths again and again in people's lives. And, um, and I, you know, I think, yeah, I'll just, because again, I, I think the, I think the goal, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful goal, you know, a house and a family and it's a beautiful goal and it's something worthy to aspire to. And and maybe maybe God will give it to you. Who knows? Um, and I, I hope that I, I wish that for you. But the the part of the main thing that He's building is, of course, you and the yeah. um, the perfection of your soul and the the you know the the fullness of your story. And He's already given you an interesting story, not necessarily an easy one, but an interesting one. And um, what what you build what you build along the way is wisdom and you know it it seems that the first few decades of your life are about having to learn wisdom and then the last decades of your life are probably sharing whatever you've learned with those who are coming yeah. up after you so um i hope so yeah it's funny you mentioned that uh I actually had this thought today. It, it haunts me a little bit. It's silly, but uh, it was just a funny thing to say. But when I was, I was probably six or seven. Um, I remember walking out of the church and my preacher greeted me and he was kind of asking me what my favorite book of the Bible was. And I remember saying to him, Proverbs. And I said, I'm a big fan of wisdom. Mm. And he kind of chuckled at me. Um, cause I don't know what I was talking about. I, I, I had some sense of, of that being a value and, and likewise, I've always had a really, uh, 
it might have been my grandpa's presence or something, but I've always had a real affinity for the elderly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so somewhere on that spectrum, I guess, yeah, there's a, a bit of a wisdom calling in my, or at least emphasis in, in my approach. But that's, you know, only a reflection of how foolish I've been probably. Mm-hmm. So I probably need it more than most. Well, you, you, there's a there's a funny dynamic with wisdom that um, in in a certain way only the foolish can gain a certain kind of wisdom. Yeah. You have to have been foolish to understand the value of wisdom. Often, and you know, yeah. there's another funny thing in life, which is that if you live long enough, you will have been old longer than you will have been young. And you don't really realize that until you get up in years. And so now I turned 60 this year and I pastor a church with a bunch of 80 and now 90 year olds. And you begin to realize, you know, if I live to 90, I'll have another 30 years. I mean, I think back to when I turned 30, that seems like a lifetime ago. I mean, I've had, um, let's see, how old was I when I had my second was 94 so i had when i when i turned 30 i had one kid and one wife and i had been married five years and now i have five kids and one wife (laughs) and i will have been married 30 and i've been married 35 years and so if i'm not if i be if i live to 90 oh you know lord willing grandchildren um you know, and this this YouTube thing, this big turn in my life that happened, this happened at 55. So, no, there's – life is, is a very strange thing because those, those early decades when you don't know anything and you really can't know anything, they're so chock full of both potential and um, – and, and, consequ- and consequence. I mean, the decisions you make yeah. in your 20s and the decisions that are made by your parents when you're little, those are those are hugely consequential. And then you have yeah. very little control over them. And, you know, yeah. and, and yet they set the pattern and they set so much for so much of what happens later in life. Life is a very strange thing. Yeah, and I think the the gravity of what you're saying, um, again, not to make an idol of it, but I listened to your first conversation with uh, with Grim, Grim Grizz, and man, that was a great conversation. You, you touched on a lot of things, and somewhere in there, I've lost the thread now, but somewhere in there, it was it was a reminder of how significant it is for for fathers to to influence their children for for the better, including what he talked about. He brought up, you know, people getting all worked up about the next presidential election, but there's no real sense of embodied civic duty and and men in churches being sort of encouraged necessarily to be involved in their local communities. And of course that starts at the home and, and everything you're saying and all the consequence. And I'm, I'm saying this, you know, from experience as we all can, I guess, but, man, your, your dad has a lot to do with it. And your dad's dad, I can look back at my dad and my dad's dad and what I've heard about the father before him. And that tells me to not be surprised about anything that happened in my life, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I can look at, 
just the the, the lesser influence that my mom's dad had on us and the majority of it might be an overstatement but i think the majority of the redemptive qualities that we have and choices that we've made and values that we hold are mostly a credit to him uh, being present for his six daughters and being you know a, a strong but also supportive and loving masculine figure in their life and uh, you know this is this is all spoken about ad nauseum, but, you know, it's something that I, I couldn't feel as passionate about uh, God or Jesus if I didn't sense in them um, uh, an importance, like a really, really important model for what it means to be a father, basically. Uh, so, yeah. I think that's so true. It's so true. Reality is also life is also funny in that things like fatherhood. I mean, when you talk about them, you can you you almost you almost fear just you know falling into cliche. But at the same time, yeah. it's really hard to. So on the one of the videos I released two videos this morning. One of the videos I released about the Christian Reformed Church. I played a long segment mm -hmm. of a of a synod interview with Matthew Tuninga, and part of what I really loved about that was he, you know, he talked about his 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 family name was kind of notorious in the Christian Reformed Church, the way his grandfather and his father left the denomination, and then he comes back into it. But um, fatherhood is, and and this takes nothing against nothing away from motherhood, because I mean we could go on no, that too. But yeah, yeah. again, in yeah. terms of for men. I mean, because we we will have a chance to perhaps embody fatherhood and take our crack at it in the way that we won't with motherhood. It's just reality. Right. <laughs> and it's so weighty and so consequential, yet it's also so you know, for, for me, I've not, I've seen men and fathers who are very intentional and I've always admired that. Uh they're very intentional. And they're very explicit, but yeah, that, that's not at all how I saw my father or my grandfather. They seemed far more mm -hmm. implicit, um, mm. and, and far less intentional. Yet, the older I get, the more I see that, um, even even though perhaps they weren't terribly aware of a number of things, yet these first drafts that had been written into them by the generations of fathers you know there's not a there's not a as far as i can tell there's not a divorce in terms of my family going in terms of say my lineage my father to grandfather to great i i can't find a divorce going back six seven generations yeah now there's a death. My great grandfather lost his wife in childbirth with their sixth child, and he married. He yeah. married strangely. He married sort of a sister-in-law, um, but but that was you know that that's the nineteenth early twentieth century. You know, these things happened, but there there wasn't a divorce, and you know part of what you know part of what we're wrestling with is this. The, the 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 painful legacy of broken marriages something mm -hmm. something yeah. happens i mean how 
how many of these conversations do I have where this comes up? I mean, it's it's very yeah. unusual that it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, you know, a, a little bit of a sidetrack, but I wanted to ask you about this. I think it's related to this. To me, it is in terms of, you know, spiritual trends that we're experiencing as a, as a people. But um, you mentioned in your talk, with Griswold there, um, C.S. Lewis cosmology, which I'm not, I, I love C.S. Lewis. I'm not familiar with that, but you were specifically pointing out this notion that like our plane of existence here is, is really just one level up <laughs> from some pretty deep and dark stuff. Um, so I don't know if you kind of see a connection there and why I'm trying to bring that out right now, but. Can, can you say um, a little bit more about your description of it? Because that doesn't, I'm not quite tracking with you. Um, well, I'm trying to remember exactly the context in which you all discussed it, but, but the point that you are making and bringing it up is basically that our life here on earth as humans and the grand scheme of all the, yes. you know, celestial yes. spheres or dimensions yes. or whatever you want to say is we are, we're we're playing with the fire of hell a lot more than maybe a lot of us realize. Yeah. Um, and I, I just think that that sort of informs some of, I bring that up to say that I think my visceral awareness of that kind of informs my zeal and, and this sense of mission about, and I'm not even a father, and I might be a terrible father if I ever were one, but I, I feel so convicted about this being, uh, something that needs to be spoken about more often because of how many, uh, you know, cultural influences per se are actively working to undermine that and have been for decades. And like everybody knows it, but um, I don't think that we should be afraid of, of sounding like a broken record and, and going into that topic. I mean, obviously that is why I think uh, Peterson rose to prominence in the way that he did. You could, you could break it down a lot of ways, but for me personally, as a viewer who was uh, entranced whenever I came across his videos, um, yeah, the content was important, but he's so earnest and he so genuinely cares and moved to tears often yeah. um, for his audience, basically, and for the human condition that, you know, that is a fatherly, I mean, who can say, right, I guess, virtues can be in the, in the fathers and the mothers, but to have that come from a male figure in that way, it definitely has been really endearing and really captivating. And I think, of course, I'm sure you've talked about it a million times on our channel, but there's a deficit of that. And um, of course, like you mentioned, divorce is one of the, whether it's the, you know, the wife's fault or the husband's fault, regardless, the, the removal of the father from the home, or in my case, just the, the half-hearted presence at, at best of the father in the home is destructive. I don't think that's hyperbole. No, no, you're right. And, and I'm tracking with you now. Part of, part of what I've, I've learned to see about our participation in this life is that our aperture is so small we, we, we just take in a little bit. Now, what that means is so often we, we try to balance because balance is a way to try to be fair about what we take in. But the, 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 
the impulse to balance is also an impulse to truncate. And so on one hand, we've got, you know, I was listening to Luke Thompson this morning in his little morning live stream. And on one hand, you, you have universalists out there that say, finally, God is going to redeem all. Okay. Um, I'm not, I'm not convinced of that. Because part yeah. of what I see on the other side is exactly what you're pointing to. And C.S. Lewis talked about that, too. We also know that all of our consequences, all of our life choices have consequences. And now some of the consequences of good life choices are difficult. Some of the consequences of our rebellious life choices can sometimes be redeemable. Yeah, there you're exactly right in that we it was very interesting to me listening to Peterson when he was first talking about PTSD that he noted that you know it wasn't it wasn't necessarily the what what caused the deep trauma and hence the the deep disruption of people's lives in the future wasn't so much simply witnessing uh evil and violence and chaos it was the person's willing willful participation in that that really mm -hmm. caused the trauma because it's one thing to wow. have been a victim of evil and malice it's another thing to have been a perpetrator of it and that realization which is you know it's this whole our whole current status our whole current uh culture of celebrating victimhood is is so convenient to us because what it does is it's an implicit declaration of innocence mm. when the reality yeah. is we are not that innocent and the, no and you know part of you know the one 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 thing in the bible that comes through again and again vengeance is mine saith the lord i will repay and we, we, in our unbelieving age, we're skeptical about that. Will God really repay? I mean, did Mao, did Mao really get his just rewards? Did Hitler get his just rewards? Did Stalin? But, but those are, of course, names that are in the public view. There's, there are fathers and husbands and mothers and grandmothers and people outside of family systems who have done just, just terrible things in this world. And we feel vindicated and righteous and self-righteous when we have a hand in vengeance or retribution. But that command, vengeance mm -hmm. is mine, says, says the Lord, I will repay, that's, that's to our benefit. Because basically what he's saying is, I don't want you with blood on your hands. Mm -hmm. and And now... Usually, off sometimes, not always. I don't believe, and this is why I'm not a universalist. That the the justice comes and the retribution comes, 
you know, maybe in after death and in the next in the age to come. I don't know. The Lord, the Lord can manage that. I did. But sometimes it happens in this world. And, and this is also sort of part of the reason why we have this really interesting phase thing where we have sort of civilians and then the state or the king or, you know, where, you know, a, a legal execution is very different from a murder. And in our in our system, you know, justice is blind, which is a very interesting metaphor. So, mm -hmm. but but I think you're exactly right that part of part of part of sort of the collective lie that we continue to perpetrate is you can do what you want and there won't be consequences. It's not true. It's not true, and it's it's. And this is, again, one of Peterson's, Peterson keeps saying, you're not going to get away with anything. <laughs> and he keeps saying yeah. that, and we listen, and we think, oh, really? No. And, and he's very, he's deadly serious about that. Now, but now, you know, again, this yeah. whole aperture issue, th that reality also sets up this, that, that reality makes the grace of God look even more profound. And this is what Bonhoeffer talked about with respect to cheap grace. If you're living in a consequence-free realm, grace is very cheap because consequences aren't terribly costly. So, no, I think that's right. And, and you know, what I appreciate about your story and, you know, what I appreciate about what Grim Grizz does is at least at least there's honesty about the consequences of our choices especially the bad choices because mm -hmm. if you don't own up to that if you're not and if we as a culture aren't honest about that we're just lying to each other and 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 we're just perpetuating more misery down the line and we're we're not giving people the the kind of warning that yeah. should be given. So no, that's a great point. Yeah, I think that's really well said. That's one thing I've always enjoyed about listening to you is you, you have a way of expanding and kind of getting me out of my little rut that I get into. But, um, you know, and I know we're towards the end of the conversation, so maybe we can steer it towards a, a gospel-y message a little bit because – so many things are coming up for me when you, when you talk about that subject. Um, you know, consequence is just so implicit because of how intrinsically and in, inescapably relational everything is. And of course, this is a big thing that sold me on Christianity is because when I developed uh, or come when I came to understand sort of the Trinitarian concept and the relationality being so essential and inseparable from God. And uh, now I'm just going to grab thoughts as they come, but it, it reminded me when you were talking as well of the passage where Jesus, you can correct me. I think he was called good teacher and he, he almost rebukes the man and in his own paradoxical way, he says, you know, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Um, there's just something really, really radical and subtle, like radical that happened to my, spirit, if I can say that without sounding too woo-woo, around the time of my conversion. And it had everything to do with what we're talking about, which is really, 
I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not sure how far this extends across the Christian spectrum, but the utter depravity thing is very real in my experience, but I also catch myself bouncing back and forth, playing the victim. It was synchronistic when you brought that up because earlier today I actually came across a note that I'd, I'd written for myself because I do that. And in that I was essentially, I was like comforting myself with a sense of feeling vindicated against someone else and, and thinking that if I can just get smarter, then my way of dealing with that person in the future will exact vengeance in some way. Not in a way that was malicious, but just in a way that sort of I felt would protect my boundaries or something. But when I looked at that note, that came to mind, that, that verse you're saying, vengeance is the Lord's. It's just, it's everything to me now. That's, you know, as of whatever, four years ago, it's, it's a constant call to, like you said, to, to recognize, and it's so, it's so hard to do, it's impossible to do, which is why we need grace. But I'm, I'm always trying to find my feet. I'm always trying to make up for lost time. I'm always trying to become a better man and maybe get the status I need or whatever to, to get through this life. But then, I'm always, always having to contend with the fact that the real work of the kingdom or whatever is really about God sanctifying you, let's say. And that is usually not a flattering process or experience, and yet there is this, you know, he chastises those whom he loves, whatever that verse is. It, it's, it's humiliating, and it's terrible. But also, if you embrace it, if you embrace that relationship and trust and obedience and all this, you you find the grace and you find the, the personal love that an infinite, unfathomable creator finds a way to, with like detail and precision and, and utter meekness, like he presents these blessings and encouragements to you on your path as you submit to him and it's just it's such a an all-consuming sort of life to live once you enter into relationship with him that everything before it and in my life and everything that the world could offer me in my life you know ultimately it does pale in comparison despite the temptations that arise to the contrary yeah. so yeah no it's a great way to say it that's a great way to say it. Wow. It's, and it's so true. Um, I mean, we tend to strive for all kinds of things in this world. And, you know, if the Christian story is true, and I believe it is, what we take out of this world, you know, you have this cliche, you can't take it with you. You know, you can't take the the money, you can't take the house, you can't take the dog. Maybe you take the dog, I don't know. I'm a little, I'm a little on the fence with respect to that. I think maybe yeah. the Lord will let us take our dogs. But, um, I hope so. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but what, what he does is, and the New Testament is clear on this, he refines us, but he refines us with fire. Um, mm. And that's, and that's, that's so often that's that's the way he does it so no it's so true 
Uh, Jacob, I have so enjoyed this. Um, I'm going to send the, I'm going to send you the recording so that you can look it over. Um, I, 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 I'm not going to put any pressure on you to share this. Um, there are sort of three levels, you know, either we can, you know, you could just keep the recording or you can destroy the recording. If you'd write me to destroy the recording, I would happily do that too. That's no problem at all. Uh, another level would be to share it in the sort of the randos area in the channel. And, and part of the reason why I'm, I'm really growing to like that area is not everybody needs their story on the open internet. And I'm usually careful about names and things on a file so that people couldn't necessarily Google you and find this conversation. Um, or, or then some, some people would rather have their shared on the full channel, which is, which is fine too, if it's appropriate. And this one I think would be appropriate. You were, I mean, you shared your life, but you didn't, you know, go too badly into the uh, private sins of others, but, um, but, but look at it and think about it because I, I no, you know, and often on, so Mondays I have to decide whether or not to open up slots and, and part of me loves these conversations just for exactly the reasons that I've loved this conversation. It's it's so good to have the just the common reminding of the mm-hmm. the way that God moves in our lives and and all of the complexities that are there. Um, but it's always it's I, part of me just always you know should I should I can I can I can I do it again today? Because part of it is also so weighty yeah. because it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's another, it's another life. And, um, and part of what's so cool about these is like, Oh man, I really, really enjoyed listening to your story. And it's, it's frustrating to know that I might, you know, I might only talk to you once or twice for the rest of my life. We may never, may yeah. never meet in person. Yeah. You never know, or something, something different could right. happen, but I've so, I've shown so enjoyed this conversation. I've I've so enjoyed hearing your story and hearing God's grace in your story. And you know, I I pray for, you know, I pray that God um, gives you the desires of your heart. I pray that God, you know, gives you the strength to rebuild this house, and that He puts an amazing wife in it, and that children can follow, and um, that you can be, yeah. you can be the kind of father that. You know, some, you know, a hundred years from now or 50 years from now, some other, somebody or 25 years from now, somebody else will be talking to some other pastor and say, yeah, my father. Um, and then he'll tell little bits of your story. <laughs> and then, you know, yeah. and he married my mom and we had, you know, I had two brothers and sisters and, um, and, you know, and, and the truth is that that son will probably have some things, but then there'll be some hard things that they'll, they will have made a wrong turn or some tragic tragedy will happen to them and it gets them derailed. And God's grace kind of comes down through that and begins to, you know, afford a wisdom that somehow might not have come if the wound hadn't happened. I mean, that's just the mystery of God's grace. So, yeah. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that prayer. Those are encouraging words that I need right now. And yeah, I kind of, I knew that I might bring some, some weightiness some heaviness to, to the conversation, but uh, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad to have had it as well. And uh, yeah, I'll happily watch this and, and uh, I don't know if it's through email or, or whatever method I'll try to give you some. Uh, I'll send it. I'll send the link to it, to it through email and it'll be, 
it'll be an unlisted link. So only someone with the link can listen to it. So then you can, you can listen to it. Like you listen to anything else on YouTube and then you can just write me back and say, (laughs) no, let's keep it between us or destroy the file or you can share it, but keep it in the limited section of the behind the paywall or do with it what you want. You can decide at that point. And if you, if you redecide later on, which, which sometimes happens like you got to take it down. I'm interviewing for a job. It's like, yeah. okay, well, well find the yeah. video and link it to me and I'll take it down. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That sounds good. Paul, it's been uh, super unexpected and, and a blessing to talk to you. So I appreciate oh, your time. It's been a pleasure, Jacob. God bless you. You too. Thank you. Yep. Bye-bye.